let's then turn to his precepts, the Word of God, Romans 8, 35 to 39, is what uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach from, but let's read from verse 31, Romans 8, that 1 to 39. What then shall we say to this thing? God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give his whole thing? Who shall bring in a church against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. It is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's thank the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we praise your name for your grace once again, knowing that this is your word. This is, this is the means by which we are made wise for salvation. It's the means by which we are sustained in our Christian faith in a fallen world. Oh, we pray, Lord, that you will show yourself gracious to us as we hear your word. Please grant that every heart, every soul here today will be enriched in the wisdom of the scriptures and hear the gospel of your son and be encouraged, exalted, prayed in righteousness so that there would be what they should be before you. Please hear us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our message this morning is no separation from the love of God. You know that chapter 8 opens with no condemnation and now it closes with no separation from the love of God. My aim in this message is to get you, believer, to be assured of what you believe. Be assured of grace and salvation. And for you, unbeliever, I want to invite you to see how solid the faith that we confess is. How sure 
and certain. The gospel that we proclaim is so that those who believe it are well settled in their faith, so that you don't waver if you've been considering becoming a Christian, that you would, that you would embrace the Lord Jesus Christ without any more delay. Now, assurance of salvation is not something that any false teaching can offer. And the difference between the Christian faith and all other world religions is that Christian faith offers assurance of salvation. Many man-made religions tend to emphasize work-based salvation. But the gospel presents salvation which is out of sovereign grace, based on God's eternal decree, God's eternal love in the eternity past, before the foundation of the world. The gospel presents the work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished by the richness of his grace in coming into the world of sinners, living a perfect life, and so accomplishing God's righteousness, and dying the sinner's death, and so paying the penalty due to us for our sins. The salvation that we talk about is realized by the Holy Spirit's application of the love of the Father and the grace of Christ to us individually. So, the gospel is good news because it does not depend on us at all. It depends on God. It depends on the sovereign grace of God in Christ. This is the basis of the question set before us today. My microphone disappeared. This salvation is not dependent on human beings. And so when the question is asked, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a big question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anyone here who can separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anyone ever who can pluck us from the love of of Christ. And so many options are offered. Let's, let's retrace our steps again. Five times in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul asked questions to draw out the amazing privilege, the, the privileges of belonging to Jesus Christ. And that's why I requested that we read from verse 31. The question is, if God is for us, but really, it is, since God is for us, who can be against us? Raise up your hand. And no one can be successful if they were to be against us. Amen? That's verse 31. We come to verse 32. The question is, how will he not also with him 
graciously give us all things? What's the answer? The answer is God will supply everything we need. The third question is in verse 33. Who shall bring in a church against God's elect? Now, the question is not who shall attempt to bring in a churches against God's elect. The question is who shall bring any successful church against God's elect? What's the answer? No one can make a charge stick against us in the court of heaven. No church brought against shall be successful. The fourth question is in verse 34. Who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? No one can, can, can condemn us. No one. And now, from today's passage, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Clearly. And thankfully, we have plain but wonderful answers to all these amazing questions to establish the assurance of our grace and faith in Christ. So this is the kind of message that should, should put smile on the lips and the hearts and joy in the hearts of everyone today. Let's consider the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Some of you have fallen in love in your lifetime. You know, you've, you've known what it means to be loved, perhaps by your parents. And uh, others have known what it means to be loved by your spouses. And the one thing that you dread is anything coming to draw you out or separate you from your beloved, right? Because there is nothing that is more heart-reading than to be separated from the love of your heart. Nothing. Those of you who have tested the bitterness of fractured relationships, you know, perhaps you may have broken up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your fiancé or you have known the horrors of divorce. You know what separation from, your, from any love means, right? Good news. When the question is asked, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You can take that question to be that, you know, that question that we used to ask in weddings. Is there anyone today who can show a just cause why these two cannot be married today? And uh, if you are, if you are there and it's your wedding, 
or if it's your children's wedding, the question is asked, you know, with trepidation, you wait. You hope that no one is going to lift up their hands and object and say, yes, I can sure just cause why these two should not be married today. Thank God for the Marriage Act 2014. Marriage Act 2014 means that they, if they want to object, it's fine, but let them do way before the wedding day. And if on the wedding day they come with, uh, with court orders, you will have already known that someone might turn up with court orders. Because that case will have been tried by the pastors and, and, and uh, the registrar of marriages. And now, Shindikana Amiambiwa Ende Kotini been told, go to court and obtain an injunction to stop the wedding. The question is asked again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is the love of Christ the groom and his church? The bride. Who shall separate us, the church? Who shall separate the elect of God from the love of Christ? That's a question. Do you know what separation means? You know who is the us? It is the church of Christ, it's a sheep, the elect. You know that Christ is the groom. Suggestions shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Paul chose to mention so many horrible things. And he is saying equally that nice things too could not separate us from the love of Christ. He will say that later. He chose to mention these horrible things to make sure that we know that he was not suggesting that even though Christ loves, there might be some things to sever this love. When these horrible things come in this fallen world of sin, we must learn, always know, that nothing could separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And now, for a moment, let us, let us review this love. Let's consider Christ's present love and Christ's particular love and Christ's preserving love. First of all, Christ's present love. You can say that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Because Christ, who died to demonstrate his love for us, is alive and is still loving us now. He is at the right hand of God and is therefore ruling for us. He is interceding for us. This means that he is seeing to it that his finished work of redemption does in fact save us hour by hour and bring us safe. To eternal joy. His love is not a memory. His love is not some memory that you can look back to and smile. No, his love is a moment by moment action. 
It is continuing. It is this continuous, omnipotent love. It is the continuous living love of the living Son of God. It is a continuous love to bring us to everlasting joy now and in eternity. It is a present love. Think about Christ's present love, a uh, particular love. This love of Christ is effectual love. It is effective in protecting us from separation from Him. It's a special love. When I say particular, I mean it is special. It is exclusive. It is not a universal love. I mean, who would want to be loved by a man who loves everyone in the same way? Who? Every woman desires to have a man who would love them exclusively. And Christ's love is like that. It's not a universal love for all, but a particular love for his people. That is, those who, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, who according, uh, who they, they are called according to his purpose. These are the people that God the Father foreknew. These are the people who God predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. These are the people who are called and justified. These are people who are as good as glorified. Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. So this is the kind of love that must exist between a husband and his wife as shown in Romans 5, 25. It is Christ's love for the church. His bride. And someone may object and say, Pastor, are you saying that Christ has no love whatsoever for every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the world? I can tell you that Christ has a general love for all. It is shown in his common grace. He, he, will, he will send his rain to all. He will give food. He will let everyone's heart pump blood the rest of the faculties. Let the moon and the stars be seen by all. It's not his special love. It's not his saving love. It's not his preserving love for his bride. What we are talking about here is Christ's particular, special, exclusive love for his church, for whom he gave his life. You know that you, as a believer, you're part of that bride if you trust in Christ. Anyone, no exceptions, anyone who trusts Christ can say, I am part of his bride, his church, his called, his chosen ones. The ones who, verse that five says, are kept and protected forever, no matter what. So this is, this is his special love to his church. And he died to show this love for her. And then lastly, Christ's preserving love. This is special 
This present special love, this sovereign love is also omnipotent and effective, protecting love. But we must know that it does not spare us from calamities. This love does not guarantee us the easiest life now. This love does not assure us that there will be no tribulation. It doesn't assure us that there would be no distress. It doesn't assure us that there would be no persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. It does not. What it assures us is that this love, these things may come, they will not be successful. Because it is a preserving love. So then, it is, we are assured of security. We are assured not of safety from peril, but of safety in peril. And it will bring us safe to everlasting joy with God in glory. And therefore Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is there. Verse 37. The answer is no. None of this shall prevail. Though these things may happen, yet they shall not overcome. They shall not overthrow. They shall not overtake the love of Christ to his church. Nothing, evil or good, has a potential to dethrone God's love that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Remember Romans 5.5? God's love has been poured where? Where has the love of God been shed abroad? In our hearts. God's love has been demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 This cannot be taken away or be minimized or be reduced or be cancelled by anyone. We are well secure, preserved by his infinite mercy. But someone might object thinking that what Paul means is that God will not let tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword come upon his people or happen to his bride. You know who teaches that? The charismatics, the word of faith, the health and wealth people. They say, no, no. What, what Paul is saying here, that tribulation will not come, stress will not come, famine, persecution, nakedness, danger, sword, they will not come. That's what these passages say? No. Because if you look at the next verse, Paul puts Psalm 44, verse 22, and he applies it to who? Who does he apply it to? Yes? As it is written, for your sake, 
Who? We, including who? Paul himself. How do you see that? Paul applies this verse and he says, as it is written, for your sake we are, we, Paul, and you, and every believer in the church of Christ, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What is that martyrdom? It's normal to Christianity. Christians are to be always prepared for tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Is that you? And this is what's happening all over the world. Saudi Arabia. Go to Afghanistan. Go to Pakistan. Go to Indonesia. Go to Somalia, right next door. Most of the Arabic world would very easily say, this is me. I'm constantly under tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, famine, danger, sword. What's the difference between them and you? What's the difference between a believer right now in Somalia and you? What's the difference? There's only one difference. Distance. It's only the few kilometers between us that makes a difference. The only difference between me and a believer in Eastern Turkey is only the distance. You're regarded by God as sheep to be slaughtered. Thankfully, you notice what are we? We're not goats, you're not regarded as cows. You're not regarded as lions. You're regarded as? Because Christ gave his life for the sheep. John 6. You're regarded as God's sheep. Christ's flock to be slaughtered. But don't forget that they are to be slaughtered. Thankfully, Christ Jesus himself is our shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Peter tells us. The end of Second Peter. I mean, First Peter chapter 2. The Bible says, For he himself was led like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In Isaiah 53, verse 7. This is Jesus himself. The point is this, that Jesus Christ is mightily loving his people with his present, particular, and preserving love even when he does not rescue them from tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Yes, with every trial, with every temptation, the Bible says he will also with that temptation provide a way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. Yes. He preserves us for everlasting joy in his presence even through suffering and even through death itself. Because death cannot really hurt his sheep. Death cannot hurt the sheep of Christ. Amen? The Bible says, secondly, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Verse 37. The denial, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so, the question, uh, the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation cannot. Distress, no. Persecution can't. Famine, not at all. Sword, nakedness, no. And you notice in verse 37, we have a number of things. First of all, you notice that we are given our identity. What is our identity? What is our identity? We are more than conquerors. Gives us our identity during times of suffering. Suffering such as tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger. Sword are the sources some of the sources of the greatest Christian profit and benefit to our souls. It is in all these afflictions that we are made more than conquerors. Christians do not just overcome these afflictive providences, but what are they made? More than conquerors. They are made by the love of Christ more than conquerors. Our victory over these afflictions will not be lost. It will make us more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. But Aldane, commenting on this verse, says, It is better for him, that is for you, Christian, that he had not been, uh, that he had not been called to suffer. Really, he says, he is a gainer and a conqueror, both in the immediate fruits of his sufferings, as God overrules them for his good, bringing him forth from the furnace as gold refined, and also in their final issue. For our light affliction, which is but for the moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. The term conquerors reminds us the life of a believer is a warfare in which he is called to combat, both within and without. In other words, 
The enemy has not gained anything by subjecting you, Christian, to any suffering. Because when you come out from the fire, the burning fiery furnace, you will come out the other side in which form? Refined. So really, it is to the laws of the enemy that he subjected you to the, the burning fiery furnace. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Before they were subjected to the burning fiery furnace, what were they? Seemingly ordinary officers of the king, right? What became of them when they were taken through the burning fiery furnace, when they came out the other side? What were they? They were more than officers of the king. It was very clear that they were also officers of the king of kings, the lord of lords. So, the dross, if it's going to be consumed out of you, you need tribulation. You need distress without being depressed. You need all those things, whether famine, where you lack food, or nakedness where you don't have enough clothing or danger, where you are in trepidation because you don't know what's, what's going to come out of it, or sword, even killed. Because look at the means. How are we made more than conquerors? It is through, through him. Through who? Christ Jesus, who loved us. It is through Christ that we overcome the worst of the enemies. It is through Christ that the worst of the enemies of our souls is defeated. It is through Christ that all the attacks of the enemies are resisted and thwarted. It is through Christ that we are made more than conquerors. Question is, how does Christ make us more than conquerors? The Bible says it is through his eternal, unchangeable love. Because he loved us. Then nothing can really change our position or our status in Christ Jesus our Lord. You notice, you notice how his love is described in this verse? It is not through Christ Jesus who loves us. It is through Christ Jesus who, do you, look at, do you look at the tense of the text? Is it through Christ Jesus who loves us, though he does love us always? It is through Christ Jesus who loved us in the past. It is his love in the past. And this takes us back to his redeeming love. It takes us back to Christ's death on the cross for us. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in dying for us on the cross, he made a public spectacle of all rulers, principalities, 
shamed them. He defeated them for us. Today we can say with Paul, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And sing of his love who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We speak of Christ who loved the church and gave himself for her. Because Christ loved us and shed his blood, therefore there is no enemy who can stand before us because we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Because Christ loved us, then fear is gone and hope is sure. Amen. And thirdly, and finally, we are fully assured and confident of the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, forever. As that 8 through that 9 tells us this. And so we can say that, therefore, we are persuaded. Therefore, we are sure. Therefore, we are confident that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, Jesus, our Lord. Now, these ten designations lay out four pairs of twos and four pairs of twos. And then there, there are two single items that are standalone items. When they match up in twos, they are intentionally what we would call contrasting pairs. They are on the opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, it is like saying North Pole and South Pole. What is in between is Philas. It's like saying from East to West, meaning everything else in between is covered. It is like saying light and darkness. Is there anything remaining? No. So it goes death and life, opposite extremes. Height, depth, opposite extremes. Things present, things to come. What he's communicating here is that these are all inclusive terms. They are all-encompassing statements that he's making. There's nothing remaining outside of them. So, this covers the span of anything and everything that could possibly remove us from the love of God. It's a powerful argument. And I, I think we will understand the thrust of the argument and how irrefutable it is as Paul makes his case. He begins with the worst enemy. And he says, death cannot separate us from the love of God. 
the worst enemy. Death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Why do you think it begins with death? It begins with death because you already he said danger or sword. He already said we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So he, he, then the question is, well, are you saying by quoting that psalm that death can remove us from the love of God? And Paul is saying, no. We are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. Therefore, nay, the death that I have just spoken about, no life because you're still living. Death has been swallowed up in victory, has it not? The sting has been taken away and we can say, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 56. What about the present life? The present life that we live cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. Why? Because with Paul we can say, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 Therefore, we can say with Paul to the Philippians, Philippians 1.21, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I ask you, dear brothers, not in any way suggesting that any should commit suicide, but I ask you, can a true believer sin against his own soul by committing suicide? Yes? Yes or no? A Christian is able to sin against God by committing any sin except one sin, which is the unpardonable sin. Suicide is not an unpardonable sin. But I want to assure you, there is no form of death that can separate a true believer from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, a true believer would not want to sin against his God. Right? So when someone commits suicide, we are not sure anymore. We are not sure anymore because you intentionally wanted to break the law of God. So when you, when you say that you're a spiritual man and decide to pack up your bags and go to Shakahola and starve yourself to death so that you can meet Christ, we're not sure. We are not sure that you're really acting as a Christian. Yet the word of God encourages us that those people, those 110 bodies who've been exhumed, dead, 
Some of them may have been weakened in their thinking and may have been in such distress that they succumbed to false teaching, though they were truly God's elect. Some of them. But the Bible says, if they died because of the weakness of their minds, neither death nor life can separate them from the love of God. But there is some, there is some glimmer of hope there for them. But there is also a clear warning for you that you must never want to go that direction of committing suicide and therefore putting us in that uncertainty where we cannot speak with absolute confidence that you died in the Lord. The Bible says that the worst enemy cannot draw you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, but also celestial or spiritual beings, such as angels, rulers, things to come or powers or principalities have no power in cutting me off from the love of Christ. Celestial or spiritual beings like angels and demons will attempt to remove you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. They will attempt. Satan himself attempted to draw Job away. But was Satan successful in plucking Job out of the love of God in Christ Jesus? Yes? No. The firstborn seraph may try to sound the depth of love divine. That's all he can do. Our love is secure and firmly established. The devil may try us. He may even pierce us with his flaming darts. But he cannot overthrow the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He can try many things, but he cannot take us out of the love of God. He cannot. We are confident that neither angels nor rulers, the principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers can possibly frustrate the love of Christ in us. It can't. But we're also confident that earthly dimensions, whether depth or height or length or breath, have no say in the eternal love of God in us. We can be sure the timelines, things present, things to come, time cannot. So we can say, where can you go from the presence of God in all the universe? It says that he's in every place to serve his love to us. And so over and over again, he keeps on assuring us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will not withdraw his love upon his children. He will not. These statements give us the assurance of grace 
and salvation. Let me read for you what our confession of faith says regarding assurance. It says that this assurance of grace and salvation, this certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith. It is founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel and also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit and which promises are made. And on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirit that we are children of God and as a fruit there of keeping the heart both humble and holy. I have three things to apply this to you. Number one, enjoy God's love. Will you? Enjoy God's love. We must rejoice in the hope, the glory of God. For we know that we've come to know him. We know that we've passed out of death to life. No, God's love is essential to his character and his relationship with humanity. Therefore, we're going to enjoy God's love. We shall enjoy God's love now and here and also here, thereafter. Don't stop ever to enjoy God's love. Don't be distracted by the present tribulation and distress and danger to want to cut off your life. God's love is unconditional. It's agape love based not on our performance or our worthiness because it's a gift that he freely gives us regardless of our actions or our past. What I'm saying is this. You do not need to, to dress smartly and put up makeups before God for him to love you. All right? God is not interested in how you appear to love you. God is not interested even in what you have to love. God is not interested in what you give as your tithes and offerings for him to love you. God will love you. He loves you. Don't think that there is anything you can do for God to love you more or to love you better. The story of God's love is amazing and it needs to be enjoyed. We, can, we should be those who sing of his love forever. And we should be saying, redeeming, your redeeming love shall be my, the theme of my song now until I die. God's love is steadfast and eternal. When we are faithless, God remains faithful and his love remains constant. It's only God's love that will transform you eternally. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Meditate on it now and forever because no one can love you better than God. Amen. Secondly, be convinced of God's love. Be convinced of God's love. 
Never doubt God's love. It is unchangeable, eternal love. It is established before the foundation of the world and continuing into glory of eternity. So I ask you, unbelievers, for? who can love you better than God? I know you all yearn to be loved. True? Yes? Of course. You single adults, unmarried, you look forward to that day when people will come to your wedding, isn't it? When your love will bloom. Walk down the aisle. Forward to that day. But there is better love, unchangeable, unchangeable love in Christ Jesus, Lord. Why, why do you mark time? You know, if you met the love of your life, you don't delay and delay and delay in telling them that you love them, do you? You want them to know as soon as possible. Now you hear that open arms of God are open and you're still not in the love of Christ being an unbeliever. You don't know this particular, special, exclusive love of Christ that you described. What are you waiting for? Trust in the Lord today. Today is the day of salvation. That the love of God can be poured into your heart. There are times when you feel like you don't feel, you don't, you're not quite experiencing the love of God. But let me tell you, there's no better love than the love of God. Do not be tempted to leave God's love. This is a love of loves. Love the best. If you walked out of God's love, then the rest of your life here and hereafter will be misery and grief and pain. Yes, God is inviting everyone to his love. If you're in, in the love of God in Christ, then all eternity, you will know bliss and joy and speak. I want to invite everyone, children, listening. I know you want to be loved by your dad and mom. mom. To be loved by God is way better. And when you're loved by God, your mom and dad will love you even better. The singles, being loved by God is a way to be taught how to love. Beginning your marriage without God, you would not know how to love. And so I encourage you to be in this love of God. As I finish, let me assure you again of God's love. We must reassure our hearts of this amazing love of God. And we must have full confidence before God that having loved us, He will love us to the end. And having loved us, our salvation is secure cannot be moved. 
We believe in the name of the Son of God that we may know that we have eternal life. Nothing assures us better than to know that God's love in His Son for us is unconditional and unchanging. Amen?